Okay, we did it. We did it. Hello. Wee. <laughs> Yay. Look at us. Look at, well, don't look at us. Just listen no. to us. Yeah, it's not that kind of a podcast. Thankfully. Mm-hmm. Until we really get on our social media game, and then you have to, I think. Oh, yeah. you got Well, you got to have the promotional snippets, Uh, you know, <laughs> the video. People love a snippet. People love a snippet. Yeah. You know, I it, I really do think <laughs> Quibi was ahead of its time. <laughs> I mean, well, they you know, if they weren't so stupid with you know all of their restrictions and things like that, you know, if they could have hung on for the TikTok generation, they could have had something. Hmm. Yeah. Their their problem was definitely um, that they they just moved too fast uh, on their idea of yeah. short form video. Yeah. Yeah. And all no. their uh, amorphous aspect ratio center crop stuff that you you wouldn't be allowed to share with anyone. No, I mean, I, I thought that was probably the most entertaining thing about them was was their uh, discussion of that being a proprietary technology where <laughs> they would just crop the center image uh, either vertically or horizontally. Um, yeah, you guys are you guys are geniuses. Um, but uh, you know, speaking of aspect ratios. Mm. I thought you were mm. going to go in like uh, the future from another timeline kind of thing. Well, what if there was another timeline and it was the past, but it was the future of the past? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Mm-hmm. Then you'd be pa- in a Wes pa- Anderson past. movie, wouldn't you? Yeah. Past to the future. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was. That's a, uh, so anyway, um, uh, Asteroid City. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we have previously discussed on this podcast, uh, that y- you have an appreciation for Wes Anderson, I would say most of the time, um, maybe all of the time. I, mm. I, I don't know. You, I, feel, I mean, I feel like I'm probably 50, 50 on his movies, mm-hmm. to be honest. There's some movies I haven't even seen, uh, but I'm a fan of Wes Anderson. Um, you know, I don't, I don't rush out to the theaters, so I don't rush out to the theaters for anything, but I don't rush out <laughs> to see his movies. I didn't see this in a theater. No, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen, let me think about it. I don't think I've seen any of his films in a theater, uh, but the, there's a good reason for that um, pri- prior to COVID even. Uh, I just didn't enjoy him. Um, I I, uh, I found his, uh, his shtick uh, trying. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know that there are, you know, differences of opinion about that, um, but... Uh, I was pleasantly surprised uh, when I watched Asteroid City Mm -hmm. um, after having not watched Wes Anderson films in a while uh, that uh, it was not only tolerable, but it was weirdly (laughs) comforting that he steered so hard into his own shtick um, that it, it just kind of became delightful in a strange new way in a new meta 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 way uh you're gonna have to explain to me what it what it was that tickled you about this movie because um i i don't know i mean it seems on par with some of his other stuff but what 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 about this one gotcha uh i think it is mainly how absolutely 100 percent contrived it is and it, it is so unapologetic about its um, I want to say machinations, but it's a it, it is a uh, multi-layered 
um, thing for sure. Uh, you alluded to that on uh, Mastodon right before we started this. Um, oh yeah, let me let me read the thing yeah. again. It is a retrofuturistic version of the 1950s. That's not the complicated part. But a television host introduces a live production of a documentary about the creation of a play called Asteroid City. Yes. So it's a documentary about a a live production (laughs) of a documentary (laughs) about the creation of a play. Yes. And also the play. Yeah. Well, and and the play is a movie. Um, The play is a movie. Even though it's supposed to be a play. Also, in the play that is shown as a movie, there is an actress who is trying out her lines and uh, getting ready for a part in a play. Right. Um, yes. So it, it, in the in the play that is a movie, there's an actress that's uh, it's a movie movie star. Yes. And so we have Scarlett Johansson playing an actress who is playing another actress. <laughs> This is Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder, this whole movie. It it is it is just a, a turducken of twee. Yeah. Um it is it, very it, entertaining to me because I, I generally like if you wrote that down and you told me what that was, I would just be like, Oh god. Uh yeah, you know, exactly. like it's stomach churning. But uh it is somehow delightful in the way that it plays out because it is so uh ham-fisted might not be the right turn of phrase for this but it is so uh overt um in in not trying to be subtle or hide anything um it is it is just sort of like shouting that it is a you know documentary about a play that is a movie um and it does it does with this uh weird stilted wooden diorama thing that Wes Anderson is so known for, but through the lens of these multiple layers of artifice, I guess uh, we start with a test pattern um, for the uh, television production. Um, And the live television production is narrated by Brian Cranston, who was on a stage. And in the background is Edward Norton, who is the playwright of this, but the playwright is talking to the audience about the play as if it was uh information being imparted to us the viewers of the movie not the people who would be watching this documentary um it, it is perverse uh, <laughs> like I don't, I don't know how to explain it it's just like it, it is just so multi-layered in a way that's not in any way attempting to be realistic or sensible um no one in here is doing what they ought to be doing or doing anything that feels genuine um in any stretch of the imagination uh it it is all just wes anderson to the nines um in terms of the like i said the artifice of this um so i i i was actually surprisingly delighted by uh it's just uh, weirdness i guess Mm. that's good i'm glad Mm -hmm. i mean the the meta layer on top of it with you know the the movie play within the documentary within the live broadcast thing is a little bit much for me at times mm-hmm. i mean it's not i mean watching the movie it's entertaining but when i think about what i'm actually watching then it hurts my brain um and maybe that's because like i'm okay with the one fewer levels of meta artifice of his <laughs> other movies like you know um i think grand budapest hotel is also pretty similarly committed to its goofiness and absurdity but uh it's it's not presented as a as a silly thing about a silly thing 
or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's it's a fun movie. I, I mean, well, it's fun, aside from all the parts about like you know loneliness and sadness and like losing your wife and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that's another thing is uh, I could I can never take him seriously when he's attempting to <laughs> discuss human emotion yeah. in his films but he hits um, the same human emotion a few times in this movie and you're like is, is he working through some stuff in this particular movie i mean you wouldn't really know because it's in a movie play it's in a movie play live documentary production thing so like mm-hmm. the artifice is, is is far grander than the message associated mm-hmm. with it and it makes you wonder like does he just start with the seed of an idea like, ah, you know, sad about the loss of a person, but you can't make a movie just about that, especially if your name is Wes Anderson. you got to build, you know, an empire state's worth of scaffolding around it to make it uh, a palatable for your audience. Yeah, and, and I don't know. He's um, also managed to, and this is just like a, an aside to that, like he has also managed to accumulate um, such a cast of actors who will show up for the teeniest, tiniest little parts yeah. um, in his productions <laughs> and just do whatever he asks them to do. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it just is surprising every single time. So that also adds another layer of um, weirdness, meta weirdness to this. It just um, keeps a smile on your face the whole time, kind of no matter what. Yeah, like when you're when you're when you open this movie and it's Brian Cranston um, and he's doing uh i don't know walter cronkite cross with rod serling kind of thing um when he's got that going on and then you've got um uh, edward norton um with his sibling s's um and he's murmuring to himself and we go into the actual picture and it's jason schwartzman his uh potentially one of his longest long time collaborators um in addition to bill murray uh but it's about a different very different jason schwartzman than we usually have but just as artificial and just as stilted but he's also playing jones hall who is the actor playing augie steenbeck and jones hall is different from augie steenbeck in the parts that are in black and white and are him talking to edward norton um and all of that so it it, it is weird and then as you go through you just accumulate all the other like bob balaban is in this for like two seconds <laughs> yeah. um you can barely tell us him yeah you've got you got just like everybody in here just like lots of random people willem dafoe mm-hmm. um and tilda swinton of course um she is you know slightly larger adrian brody etc um and- i love steve carell in this movie i just have to get that out there now just because He's got his little visor on. He's got a pistol tucked into his belt. He's like bringing drinks to people, like refunding change out of the vending machine and just being just extremely goofy. And I, I love every moment of him on the screen. See, I this is interesting because this is a, a moment of difference because I didn't actually feel like I was getting a lot out of Steve Carell. He seemed happy um, and in a very Steve Carell happy kind of way. Um but he didn't seem to have any dimension. Or, well, he's, I mean, he's just such a like smiley bumpkin. Mm-hmm. And you know, the scene in the, where the, the, the little girls are, uh, burying the, the mom in the Tupperware in the dirt. Right. And he's just way in the background there, like holding the, the cocktail for somebody. And he like, you know, respectfully takes his little, uh, visor off and just kind of, you know, puts his head down while they're saying words. 
Yeah. It's it's just a delightful little touch, especially because it's, you know, it's Steve Carell. Yeah. You could have gotten anybody to do that, but you got Steve Carell to do it. But the weird thing is, uh, with Tom Hanks playing the um, grandfather, or are they uh, not not related to Jason Schwartzman, not related to Augie Steenbeck, I should say, um, but to the dead wife mother situation anyway it's complicated he's a father yeah the father-in-law um i had assumed i was like oh maybe they got tom hanks to do that because that was supposed to be a bill murray role because that kind of seems like bill murray-esque but when i was reading the wikipedia page um the thing that bill murray was supposed to do was actually the steve carell role um i was just i was just scrolling to try and find what bill murray was supposed to do because i saw that he had to drop out because of covid he was gonna be the that doesn't make any sense no well i mean it would have been completely different with Bill Murray in that role. Yeah, it would have been odd. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that, that's one of those things where it's just like, did they choose to play it differently? Because, I mean, Steve Carell and Bill Murray are not interchangeable. Uh, yeah, no, Bill Murray units. would have been doing a much yeah. quieter thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's that's weird. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, but the, the, the cast here is to, deli- I mean... Leo Schreiber has such a small, like, thankless role here. Oh, I yeah. just, I love how his anger just grows over time with, uh, with Clifford. Clifford, is that his kid? Uh, where he's just like, if you touch that, I'm, I will strangle you. <laughs> he starts chasing him around in the back. I forget what the kid said he was going to do. Do you dare me to like what set something on fire or whatever it was? Yeah. Well, uh, he do you do you dare me to push this button? And then he, he's he's like, I'll uh, you know do something to you if you do that. And then he pushes the button. Um, and he chases him down. Uh, and that was that was interesting. Uh, just I, I found it delightful that it was you know because there are those kids who are just like do you dare me to do this and it's like no but nobody it's like don't 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 do it nobody cares um and uh so it was, it was kind of fun um i i and i have to say that uh it's just a general com a compliment uh to wes anderson i tend as we've discussed before to not like children in <laughs> any way any, any context place time yeah. setting no, and but uh, especially in films and TV shows, uh, but Wes Anderson somehow made them all tolerable in this. The even the teens and the very young uh, daughters. Uh, I mean, they're are, arguably some of the least quirky people in the movie. Yeah, they're very straightforward um, in what they're doing. They're just introverted nerds from like different mm-hmm. walks of life, but they're not. Uh, they're not Wes Anderson characters turned up to eleven the way some other folks are no right and um at first i you know with a uh, jeffrey wright I, I questioned like why are we using jeffrey wright but then when the general suddenly has his weird speech about his life um and i was just like oh okay i get it now this was this is a role that you needed someone to like inhabit when they have this you know monologue about themselves yeah. um so that that makes more sense than he's just in here for two seconds so there's some thoughtfulness that's definitely put into the casting it's not just cameos for cameo six uh but i i know a lot of people have co- ta- uh, commented about jeff goldblum as the uh the alien <laughs> the alien um and uh that that's just a delightful little moment but uh you know you got willem dafoe wandering in as an acting coach um for one scene um you got margot robbie uh mm. as the steenbeck's deceased wife and zach's daughter cut from the play slash movie but but who is in the real life documentary somehow yeah 
um of this movie but i don't know how they would have shot that in the because the the live action documentary um as as a framing device doesn't make any sense it's definitely not a live action documentary because there's you know sets sliding in and lights turning on and off um and all of that and uh time um is moving in a play-like way not like in a um yeah i would say not even like a realistic or like a cinema style um we literally have a scene where edward norton is typing away at his typewriter and says tell him to come back tomorrow and then it's still tomorrow somehow in like two seconds like they don't cut away or anything um no, he, he doesn't just like come in back a play. tomorrow he sneaks in oh uh, yeah he said didn't didn't she tell you i was indisposed mm-hmm. and then he he stuffs uh something in his shirt to give himself a belly to do his audition mm-hmm. um I forget one thing about this particular movie. I, you know, Jason Schwartzman. Wait, which, which, what's the name of his? Augie Steenbeck, not the mm-hmm. other character. Not Jones Hall. Not Jones Hall. Um, mm-hmm. My jaw hurt by the end of watching this movie. Just the way he speaks everything through his gritted teeth. Uh, it was starting to drive me a little bit crazy by the end of the movie. Your jaw hurt? Yeah, because I was starting to do it too. You, you had sympathy jaw. I had sympathy jaw. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I I, uh, I found it kind of um, frustrating, uh, but it was, you know, interesting. Like I said before, he plays Jones Hall differently. So Jones Hall is not speaking through gritted teeth, um, but uh, Augustine Beck is. Um, and it doesn't always work in what he's trying to do, especially in the more emotional things, because he's he's already so wooden. And then he's like barely capable of speaking. Um, so he's mumbling. Uh, so it doesn't it doesn't really help. Um, but he's a, uh, he's a war photographer. He doesn't feel things. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't express himself. Yeah. Um, and he has there. There is that back and forth dialogue that he has with Midge um, a lot in this. Uh, which is the first Scarlett Johansson Wes Anderson performance. Uh, it could be. I don't know. I, I'm definitely not an expert on that. Um, mm-hmm. But. Uh, Scarlett Johansson plays Mitch Campbell, um, an actress and mother to uh, to Dinah. And then uh, she also plays Mercedes Ford, who is the actress playing Campbell. Um, And you can tell them apart because Mitch has uh, black hair, short cropped. (laughs) And then Mercedes Ford has a Tippi Hedren um, blonde updo. Uh, And the. Mm, She was an Isle of Dogs as a voice. Oh, good good for her i i hear nothing but terrible things about that movie um but i yeah i don't know like her back and forth stuff with him is kind of strange because we just keep cutting back and forth to like i don't know i wouldn't say rapid fire dialogue but like they they certainly don't leave a lot of room for um air uh in between some of their scenes as they go back and forth, basically saying a word or two. Um, and then the other one saying the other half of the sentence or word to complete that. Um, it's, she's also not projecting really. So you just kind of have like mumbling back and forth, uh, which is not terrific. I mean, it's, it's Wes Anderson, aside to myself kind of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just your fairly standard Wes Anderson, quick talking large words and unique odd people kind of thing although i have to say the 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 one that made me laugh the most was uh, during the phone call with tom hanks uh 
with Jason Schwartzman at the beginning there when he starts to say, like, you know, I, I know you never liked me, and Tom Hanks is basically saying, I never liked you at the same time. And uh, rather than continuing repeating, he just says, yes, we're saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's, yes. it's so good. The timing of it is perfect. Yeah. And I, I wonder how many takes they had to do of that, because they obviously were nowhere near each other. Um, but, uh, and they, they don't... Um, this is another Wes Anderson thing uh, is they at least give it the appearance of a split screen oneer. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so we have the left half of the screen being asteroid city with Jason Schwartzman and uh, what's his face. Jake Ryan is Woodrow um, and they're at a telephone booth um, and there is a uh, call to Palm Springs type setting um, where uh, the I think the guy's name's Romulus or something, which is strange. Um, but the, the the guy who's sort of the valet or the helper or whatever, he's wearing like a bellhop uniform. It's very outdated, even oh, for 1955. Um, he goes and gets Tom Hanks. And when that's happening so that they don't cut, they have a cops and robbers shootout that occurs on the street in the town of Asteroid City so that they don't have to cut away or have people just sit there and be bored. Um, and it is such a interesting way to contrive that because it was so important to West to not cut, but also he didn't want to just have the silence, I guess. So you have the whole thing where the camera uh, whips around to look at cops and robbers. um, Like several times throughout the movie too. But yeah, that instance is is very interesting that you pointed out, but I, I don't know that I ever quite figured out, what the point of the cops and robbers and the fifties, no. you know, car with the flames down the side was supposed to be. I'm sure it's an homage to something. Cause why There's, wouldn't it be? Yeah. Well, the, he, Wes's movies also have a lot of stuff where it doesn't mean anything other than it adds flavor to whatever is going on. Mm. Um, in a way that sometimes I, I've, I found frustrating in the past. Um, it didn't bother me really so much with this. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're one of those people who's watching it and it, you're expecting, you know, like economy of characters or like uh, Chekhov's gun where like everything is going to matter later, uh, that's not this movie um, or really any Wes Anderson movie. Um, but the, <laughs> this is just, you know, stuff happens uh, here. Yeah. So th- that, that, you know, I don't want to derail the, the enjoyment fest, especially since you said you liked a Wes Anderson movie for the first time here. But, um, what is this movie about? Uh, I would say loss. Yeah, but like loneliness. It's, 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 that's like what fifteen percent of the movie. There, there's there's so much artifice around it that it almost mm-hmm. feels like it's kind of what I was trying to describe earlier. Was where it's like there's there's some sort of meaning to and message to it, but uh, it, it didn't feel like it was enough to be part of like. I don't know the story or the pieces that there, there's just so much build up around it. and it's entertaining to watch, but like, well, you know, like wh- which is the main, which is the main thing here? Is it, is the making of more important than the, the loss and the loneliness or what? I don't know. I mean, uh, I would, I don't think this is a deep movie about mm. loss, uh, in my personal opinion. And I don't think it set out to be, um, I, I think, in many ways it is about the artifice. Um, yeah. well, and, uh, you got the, you got the gift there that, that's posted, but the quote also is 
I still don't understand the play. And Andrew yeah. Broder says, doesn't matter. Just keep telling the story, uh, which sounds, it, it, you know, it's probably got some deeper meaning to it, but also like, that's just what's happening here. Yeah. Well, and it, it is one of the ways that they use the, the framing, the, the documentary of the play to discuss the, uh, elements of this that are not making a lot of sense. Um, in particular, uh, the scene with Margot Robbie, um, where she basically recites her cut scene back and forth between the two of them. She does the whole thing, his dialogue and hers. Um, and it is in an attempt to explain, um, loss and what's missing from the actual asteroid city play slash movie that we're watching um in a very higher level kind of a way um but in and of itself it is not complicated um or really all that revealing about anything uh because we just get this sense we just get the sense that Augie's feeling loss. Um, and there's another scene with a uh, Scarlett Johansson as Midge. So in the play um, and Augie in the play uh, where they're discussing uh, where, where Midge says that, Oh, I finally figured it out. Um, we're, we're both messed up or whatever she says. Um, and that that's why we are attracted to one another. Cause we're hurting or we were experiencing loss. Um, yeah, and so, you know, that, that is, on a rudimentary level, what this is about, but it is not a, this movie is not meaningful. Mm. Um, I mean, you've all, let me read you one more quote to go yeah. along with this whole theme. Uh, the alien behind the scenes. I don't play him as an alien. Actually. I play him as a metaphor. That's my interpretation. Augie Steenbeck says metaphor for what? And the alien says, I don't know yet. We don't pin it down. Yeah. There you go. There's that. Mm-hmm. So I guess he's like, he's telling us the whole time. Uh, like, you know, it's a vibe. It's, it's, it's a vibe. <laughs> This should have been this should have been the the, the review that uh, dropped down on a newspaper on a New York uh, street corner at the end of the movie. Yeah, it, well, it, that's <laughs> this is this is definitely like I said, like the, the loss, whatever. Like, who cares? Uh, like, they don't f- solve it. Like, Augie and, and Midge are not together at the end of the film or anything. But uh, she leaves her PO box. Yeah, but like. Uh, yeah exactly so that's not although woodrow's not, gonna you know spend his uh his scholarship on his girlfriend yeah which is awkward when you think about the fact that his girlfriend is mitch's daughter um uh, awkward because the parents it, are also involved yes, or because that, that she's would, also smart because they they both the son and the daughter like each other and the father and the um mother like each other um it's happened before i'm sure uh i don't know i mean it seems a little taboo um to 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 have that pan out like that suppose yeah (laughs) oh here's the quote i don't remember that in a brady bunch dare you to what to press that button i will break your neck (laughs) just (laughs) liam shriver is just he never smiles and that's why you cast him because he's he's a large man and he looks angry Mm mm-hmm yeah. I mean him and Hope Davis and I have to forgive me, I don't remember the other guy's name. Um the uh oh S- S- Stephen Park. Um um as Roger Cho. They they don't 
do anything. Um, again, there's just sort of flavor for the parents of disaffected or awkward yeah. uh, late bloomer. They're taking their users. kids to the, yeah, to the, the, well, it's not a convention, it's some sort of an event. Mm-hmm. An award yeah. ceremony. I mean, this, you know, as for like, why does this movie exist? And it's like, I don't know, because you can have Vanity Fair and Architectural Digest about the behind the scenes construction of the the cafe set that needed to have all the walls be mo- mo- um, movable so that they could film from all the different angles inside. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it exists yeah. because Wes Anderson makes things that I mean, he. He makes a very particular thing. You almost don't even want to call them movies, which is probably another reason you're leaning into this, like, you know, it's a it's a movie play, documentary, live production thingamabob. Like, it's a Wes Anderson movie. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. it's absurd. It, it doesn't fit any sort of mold, and uh, it's just entertaining. Right. And I, you know, I, I, I don't... I think I would be more frustrated with it if it had come out to like universal acclaim and people were talking about the deep message that was here. Cause mm. then I'd be like, you're all up your own asses. Um, because this movie has no depth. Um, the characters are mostly one dimensional. Um, and like the, so, so are a lot of the POVs. Um, but the, it, it is just kind of, entertaining if you are willing to go along for that ride i suppose um but having not watched i would say many of the last a large chunk of wes anderson's um films especially nothing recent other than this um i can't speak to any frustrations that fans of his might be feeling about what he's been up to or whatever but like i've seen reviews that say return to form and i've seen other reviews that say He's just doing this shtick over and over. Don't expect expect anything out of him. And it's just like, okay, well, I, I don't know how to apply that to the rest of <laughs> what he's been doing on like some sort of like linear scale. But, uh, cause this isn't like, it's part of some connected universe where I felt like I needed to watch everything up to this point. But, uh, it, it definitely is something where as, as a person who has dipped out, um, from his earlier works that were much more acclaimed, um, I, I, I think that I'm fine with what this is. Um, yeah. I mean, so much of his, his vibe is just like, um, uh, who is, is it Francis Ford Coppola who was talking about how like his, all the, 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 the large extended family would like get together somewhere over the summer, wherever the hell they go vacation. And like all the kids would be required to like write and perform a one act play or something like that was, that's like what these families do just as like, their tradition like his whole vibe is just like we tell stories because it's fun to make silly stories and you know it's kind of like a childish thing to make these goofy crazy dioramas on this massive scale but like it's just a it's it's artful storytelling for its own sake which is like you know you can't argue with that it's fun like there's there doesn't have to be much of a meaning to it i guess um yeah like it doesn't need to cure cancer. It's just <laughs> as or long win as it an Oscar. Cause it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. There's an alien and everything, but uh, the, <laughs> the 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 movie doesn't need to win an Oscar, even or a Golden Globe. Um, like it is. Is it nominated? No, I don't think it was nominated for anything. Um, it, it might probably have some like local 
rinky dink awards that it's been nominated for mm. um yeah oh <laughs> oh at uh con it was nominated for the palm d'or uh that seems ambitious uh sure did i don't it know win. about that one <laughs> no yeah i mean it really didn't win let's see what what is it it won um the florida film critics circle uh best art direction production design given to adam stockhausen um and that is the only award that it won uh that it was nominated for i could never find the awards section on imdb uh it moves around well i don't look there i look at wikipedia they got that little table yeah you you look at the wikipedia i always look at the imdb that's why you know Mm -hmm. to have the same yeah coin it goes one way the other Goes the other way. All right. So, um. Oh, which dog are you? Which dog am I? (laughs) Hang on. Goodfellas dog painting. (laughs) Oh, there's the, there's the white and brown spotted one. And then there's just the plain white. The plain white one looks a little, he's up on the, he's up on the ledge by the guy. Mm -hmm. He's got his nose turned up a little higher. I feel like, I feel like you're the higher, higher classy one. And I'm the little muddy brown spot guy down at the bottom of the boat. Okay. Mm. Somebody Photoshop our heads on these dogs. No, don't do that. No, no um, please don't. Um, you should post that on Macedon and just say tag yourself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll do, should I do it from the uh, the the show account? No, because then everybody's going to think we watched Goodfellas, um, which we did not. All right, fine. Yeah. Um, and before anybody says, "Oh, you should watch Goodfellas," it, it's very long. And as we've discussed on this podcast many, many times, we do movies that are probably under two hours most of the time. Tag yourself. I'm the brown spotted one. Okay, there we go. Um, oh, I had a point. I totally had a point. What, what are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about awards. We were talking about Wes yeah. Anderson doing his thing. You said you check IMDb. I said I check Wikipedia. That's um, all the whole thing. Yeah. Um, was it about the production design? Was it about awards? Was it I, about I nominations? Mean, was it about ambition or lack thereof? No, I, I, I enjoyed the movie aside from uh, Jason Schwartzman's constant clenching because you know he's giving me a headache with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I this is this is one that I feel like I should watch again because I think there's more there to enjoy. Like in a in a kind of I don't know, like the 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 jokes move too fast. You can reappreciate something in more than one way. Um, oh, I actually that's what I was <laughs> I was going to go look up who did the Alien animation. Oh. Um, did you enjoy the Alien? Yeah, I liked it. Uh, I th- I think that it was delightful to have something that is not uh, realistic um, and but just bashful and shy with the big eyes coming out. Yeah, it was it was it was fun. Um, also, Alexander Desplat's Desplat. I don't know his score. Uh, very famous composer. Um, mm. His score for this, um, where it's just like that, like. Ding, 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 the whole entire time um it was really kind of annoying uh in some of the scenes but then for the alien it ended up working pretty well because the alien's really not moving very much so you don't want it to just be like absolute silence but uh it was fun um 
to have him there and the way that the green light uh very artificially illuminated things mm-hmm. uh was fun um because there's no bounce light on that alien from the amount of green that's on that background and the way that the ship is descending and then it literally wipes as as like a blurry roto shape across the uh crater edge uh from gr- from normal shading to green um you know so it, it was interesting and also there's a uh, the animation for the uh little roadrunner guy um oh yeah it was good yeah i i thought that they whoever did the effects for this did a good job i was just um, looking at the list of visual effects artists. there's a lot more here than i would have expected I think there's a lot here that people would not expect because I think people associate Wes Anderson with like handmade arts and crafts. <laughs> there are 143 credited VFX artists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's a good amount for this movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I see it. Um, you, like, does everybody think like when they do the whip pans of this town that it's just real in all directions? Because uh, it's this is not... Well, he, you know, he 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 shot in the in the the desert in Spain, so he could build these these things. Uh huh. But he built everything for the entire distance off into infinity. You don't think he built like forty uh, percent uh, of a freeway overpass walkway thing? No. Um, also, I don't think he built the crater uh, mm. th- that you see from the roadside, where we like look down a big railing that goes on forever, um, <laughs> or the there's the cottages and stuff, but there's another row behind the other row um, and some other stuff off in the distance. Oh, that's clearly uh, just an expertly created matte painting on some glass or something. Yeah. No, because uh, that's totally how glass works. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I really appreciate everything. I think everything they did by hand in person looks great. And I think everything they did with visual effects looks great because it looks like it sits with all the stuff that was done by hand on set. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like that is a compliment to everybody. Good job. Uh, I don't think Wes Anderson is one of those people that will get up there and be like, Hey, everyone look at all the green screen or something, but <laughs> it is, uh, it, it is a well-crafted thing. He strikes um, me as a we don't do screens, just roto at all kind of filmmaker. That's probably that could be true. Um, what do you think of the 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 general look of the film? Um, I thought it had that uh saturated. I don't want to say is it ectochrome? I always forget if it's ectochrome or codochrome. Um, it, it I think I'm thinking of codochrome. It had that kind of like saturated um mid-century film look um but not in a way that any film actually did because this is another thing about wes anderson um he does stuff that seems retro but isn't actually the way that something was um it is different than the expectation of that thing is um and uh so that that is similarly uh the case with the look of this in terms of both the production design and the costuming and the uh, film stock and color and everything. Like, was this actually on film stock or was this digital? I feel like he Good still does film. Question. I'm scrolling. I, I, I had, I was keeping an eye out for gate weave and there's none. So <laughs> either they 
stabilize the crap out of it to make it rock solid or they shot it digital uh it it's film yeah okay so they stabilize the crap out of it good job oh. um was the color stuff anamorphic i think so yes i know he was he's, he changed his aspect ratios but they they yeah. list place master anamorphic lenses um yeah the look is very interesting it's a it's a thing that i think was like um uh like a trend on visco for like a week like <laughs> eight years ago which uh it fascinated me when i first saw it because it was something i actually kind of wanted to play with and i played around with you know color grading some stuff that way and then i was like well okay i did that i'm done with that but the the like high saturation but low contrast look is a very odd mm-hmm. thing that you don't see much of um but like if you look at some of the like you know the oranges and the pinks in this movie like they're almost ringing they're like so bright but it like it's it's a it's a great vibe that actually works well for uh for the movie. I wouldn't say it's um evocative of the desert in my particular experience, but uh <laughs> I I enjoy it in this particular in the story here that they've got. Yeah, I I mean it certainly doesn't look like any desert I've been in, but uh the well, I guess this po- uh, the, the the postcards, like you know the the very sort mm-hmm. of, uh this thing here on IMDb or whatever. Um it's it's got that very sort of pastel-y saturated look that you know that hand-drawn you know um pictures of like an illustration yeah Yeah. um but the and i agree with you um but the other thing about it is he the color grading of this they don't make every color pop the same amount um either like you're saying oranges and pinks and the cyans in the sky and stuff um some of the skin tones are not always i don't think optimal but um the uh but the film the way they treat it, um, it looks a certain way. And one of the things that, like you were talking about, people with like Visco trying to make their stuff look like Wes Anderson. Um, I, I, I think there's a certain amount of that that is fun if you're playing around with how to do that. Uh, I get very tired of people who think that um, they, they just have like a Wes Anderson filter they can apply and then all of a sudden everything they do can look like Wes Anderson. And if you go on YouTube and you search for Wes Anderson, you'll see all of a sudden in your recommendations a lot of those things of like how to how to shoot like Wes Anderson, how to make your uh, photos look like Wes Anderson, how to you know make your video look like Wes Anderson and DaVinci Resolve, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it just makes me want to puke uh, because I don't think people really understand why it is that they would want to do those things um they just want they just want to ape something that they're seeing uh and wes is it's kind of making he's not really aping something he's seeing he's taking something and he's twisting it a certain way to fit within what makes it wes anderson um whereas i feel like a lot of people just try to make their stuff look like wes anderson like there was a uh like I think it was an Instagram account and then it was a coffee table book of like Wes Anderson photos or whatever, um, of, oh, of a- people. Accidentally Wes Anderson. Yeah. Th- that's, that's exactly the one. <laughs> I think and, I have that book. <laughs> oh, Dan. Um, but then the, uh, that, that, that's that thing of like, oh, I can just be like him and I'm cool now. And it's like, no, you're not. That doesn't make you, this doesn't make you cool. Just like copying him because you don't, you don't know what you're doing or like why you're doing it. Um, and I know he doesn't know why he's doing it most of the time either. <laughs> I mean, I think th- there's still like, uh, intention and direction behind, you know, the shots and the scenes and things. It's just, there's, th- there's so much 
detail to everything that like you you got to just wonder what the accountants at the studio are say when he presents these things like well you know the the um the the cafe has to have this sort of hand painted mural of I'm looking at it right now hand painted mural of cowboys and it has to have you know all the signs for beef pork fried chicken soda fountain you know all all of these things and he's, they're just like okay like the greyhound bus has to have you know five license plates on the side one for each state that it travels through or something and just these these details i don't know maybe production design is is partially to blame for this as well but there's there's just like if anyone were to ever ask him why why is this here i wonder what (laughs) he says yeah i don't know if anybody even has the balls to ask him anymore um i mean at some point like if his movies aren't making it as much as they cost like somebody's gonna go do you really need you know, the the half-created uh, freeway ramp to nowhere kind of thing built here? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't think they built that. But, uh, the, the do you, like, the amount of effort that went into Conrad Earp's, uh, Edward Norton's um, interior cabin thing mm. so that they could have one scene in it, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing where it's just like, this is a rich and layered environment that is entirely crafted um, by production design, by, by, you know, people making this whole thing um, so that it can be used one time in this film in black and white. So you even need to do stuff like test how the color that you're painting something is going to turn out on black and white film, because you don't know that from looking at it. And also, um, you can't just paint a set black and white expecting it to look how you're thinking it's going to look when you shoot it on black and white later. Um, because there's just like different, I don't know. It, it, it was, uh, what was it? They, they explain it in the, there, there's that architectural digester vanity fair video, whatever. Um, but it, it, it I feel just like I need to watch this now. Uh, oh, you do. Um, and it, it's very long. Uh, but there's so much work that goes into uh, making this thing. It, it was like months ago that I watched it, so I can't remember everything about it off the top of my head. Because I actually watched that before I watched the movie. Um, but the... Wow. Well, I wasn't sure I was going to watch this. Um, but then it's free on Amazon, so why not? Um, but the... Oh, yeah, we should mention that. Free on Amazon Prime. Go watch the movie. Hour 45 yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah, well... Uh, yeah, it's an hour 45. Um, but the the... Also watch it before Amazon flips the switch to turn on ads um, in in the film. Uh, that would be less fun. Um, one thing I do wish Wes Anderson would do, speaking of design, um, is that the uh, production logos um, that are ahead of his film are modern day glistening, gleaming production animated logos for these companies. And... I want them to look like they should look for a Wes Anderson film or at, at the very least for asteroid city. Mm. Um, cause they are, it's like, it's weird to go from the, you know, universal logo that they have the old version of, um, to, uh, whatever that middle one was. And then the Indian paintbrush one, um, where everything is just like smoothly animated shapes, like whatever it is, like geese going off of like a, a brush stroke. Um, and it's just like, this is a lot of money that you executives are spending so that you can feel good about yourselves. But, uh, it doesn't, is not doing anything for this film. Like I, I like it when you can like 
help us build into it um, a little more than this. Because we go from that Indian paintbrush animated logo to the test pattern and Brian Cranston in black and white. Uh, so it, it doesn't even, it doesn't, there's nothing to transition us from the modern world into that at all, um, which I feel like would be nice if the production logos did it. It's also the production logos are dead silent. If I remember correctly, that was kind of odd. I thought my headphones weren't working at the time. Yeah. I mean, I can understand that because I mean, how many times do you hear dun, 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 you know, the, the whole universal thing. The sound dun, 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 dun. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I wish they would just go a little extra further with that part mm. of it. I feel like he used to, or he has mm. done that in movies. I don't know why he didn't on this one. Nah, well, I don't know. Maybe the executives were like, "We'll, we'll only give you that Greyhound bus with five license plates if you let us have your." <laughs> have our self-important animated logo in the front of this movie yeah does uh yeah imdb or it matches wikipedia 25 million dollars for this movie um honestly that's not a huge budget i suppose um no and it what was it it had the biggest uh wide opening of any Wes Anderson film or something. I can't remember where I read that. Well, I guess part of, it's, part of it's got to be the cast, right? Because the cast really yeah. wants to work with him. I saw, yeah, there's there's one solitary line here in a production. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson was paid $4,131 a week for her two months worth of work, which I assume that arbitrary number is SAG after a scale or something. Um, it's a very low number for mm-hmm. someone of her, uh, you know. Stature. Stature. There you go. That's yeah. the word. Uh so I, I assume that this would be, you know, like a you know, $75 million movie if all these gigantic actors got paid what they normally get paid. I mean, Tom Hanks alone, what is, what is he taking? But, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a fairly modest yeah, budget mean, for the amount of Just think about how much money design. you have to spend for Matt Dillon. <laughs> he pays you to show up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matt Dillon. You're probably a lovely person. I'm just not a huge fan. No, uh, I mean that's the isn't his whole thing just like playing kind of terrible characters? Yeah, I guess. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen him in anything. Um, when, when I saw him, and then also later when I saw Fisher Stevens, I was just like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fisher Stevens was also he was just there, like he had a yeah. hat and sunglasses on most of the time. You're like, all right, cool. Yeah, I guess you got to hang out in a hotel quarantined in Spain during COVID with, you know. Tom Hanks and Ed Norton. Well, Ed Norton probably. Well, he might have been there. I think it's a. They shot it all in the same yeah. proximate area. Although I don't know if hanging out with Ed Ed Norton is really anything you'd want to do. Mm. Um, supposedly, he's very method and weird. Um, I mean, he's an intense person for sure. Yeah, he's very committed to his accent. Mm-hmm. And thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I think um, far be it for me to have any sort of speculation on what these people are like because you know <laughs> rumors and such um and Norton just seems like a guy who just takes his job very seriously and other people are not super into that but uh i i suspect he's probably a fairly normal human being if you actually speak to if you know if you're if you're paying attention and you're not having an off day because you know you gotta you gotta prepare yourself to go into a conversation with that man yeah well i mean did you uh what was it 
I think Ta- uh, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Todd Vaziri uh, recently posted on Mastodon some some excerpts from an interview uh, Robert Downey Jr. gave where he he uh, talked <laughs> about how Christopher Nolan doesn't really like bathroom breaks on sets. Yeah, you're not allowed to um, go to the bathroom. He, he, rolls around. And uh, he had asked uh, Christopher Nolan when he goes to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I saw that. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, people, people I talk about how Christopher Nolan is a filmmaker that everybody wants to work with. And when he calls, you drop everything and you answer the call. But, um, I, it's not, <laughs> I, I don't want to do that. I mean, I get that he's another committed filmmaker and he takes things very seriously. And, you know, they always talk about how he, you know, he he's willing to do anything that he asks the actors to do. He's he's right in the trenches there with you. But um, I I don't I don't know, man. It does. He doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to yeah work with. No, I mean something tells me you can have bathroom breaks on a Wes Anderson set. Um, yeah. but yeah, I uh, mean, you probably have a bath. There's probably they probably break for you know high tea or whatever. Like you gotta you gotta <laughs> keep the vibe going, right? It's a vibe. You gotta keep the vibe. Yeah, well, see, filmmaking think- is a vibe. Chris Nolan's vibe is you're not allowed to pee, and Wes Anderson's vibe is you know like there's probably like crushed velvet couches in the middle of the desert where everyone can sit down and talk and you know have a hot beverage. Well, do you think everybody has like a nice trailer where they actually made it look like the film um, hmm. on the inside, so it's all very like Asteroid City? Oh, they, uh, no, they actually slept decor. in those cottages. Those those yeah. are the real cottages. <laughs> they have working toilets. Um, <laughs> One would hope. Oh man. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, let's just put Edward Norton and Christopher Nolan on the same film. Um, uh, they, they haven't been in a movie together, have they? I don't think so. I, I feel like they would, I don't feel like either one of them have learned a lesson from working with each other yet. Um, so we should do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I, I think they would actually get along in terms of their seriousness and commitment to a role. Um, but, they they're probably also gonna butt heads. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh I you know, I don't know, man. Yeah. I mean it's important to be a serious person when a lot of things are on the line. And you know, people the reason a lot of these movies are so good is because these actors like they want to be a part of it. They want to like leave their mark on a Wes Anderson or a Chris Nolan movie. So they really bring their A game. Um but you know they're not yeah, they're not gonna like walk through a role even though they could because they have the talent uh but you know you, you don't you don't have to make it weird no yeah i i don't know i mean i i, I you understand of course how i feel about people who are uh kind of too tightly wound about their importance and oh, the, their the, role the, the capital c cinema yeah don't love it um because i feel like we should all just have a little fun sometimes with this stuff i uh, still get your work done obviously but like yeah uh and i feel like wes anderson um still gets his work done uh so I mean, I'm, I'm glad that there's you know your uh your james cameron's and your scorsese's out there who are going to be I don't. I guess I wouldn't say Scorsese is is serious and precious about his filmmaking process because he seems like a guy who likes to laugh and have fun, but he also, you know, 
he knows what he's doing. He's making, he's making, he's making cinema with the capital C for sure. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't watch. Uh, I watched French Dispatch, which uh, was a previous film. Was that his? Uh, the film right before this because he did a couple of was it, like um the mini- Netflix things the the mini series stuff yeah the Cumberbatch thing I did yeah, not no, watch that I did not see the French Dispatch or the Netflix things French Dispatch is um interesting and weird but you can't really compare it because it's it's um uh there's a word for it that's escaping me it's 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 multiple stories. That are seemingly unrelated. Um, you know, it, it's been explained to me that the movie is like, you know, a, a New Yorker magazine. It's got a bunch of different stories in it, which, like, whatever, fine. The stories are interesting, but like, they they don't. I, I don't. I don't. They know don't why. intersect at I, any point. I, not in a way that is is satisfying it, to me, at least. Um, so that you can't really like. I don't know. I, I, in terms of comparing, like, where he has come from as a director and where he's going. Like I feel like he's his his arc uh, as a director. He's he's just he's zigging and zagging just to like screw with us from time to time. Um, maybe I should watch the the Netflix thing. What was that? The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. That's this one. Um, just to see what he's doing over there. But like, he's really like, he's got his thing dialed, and it's just a matter of like how he likes to apply it. He's a, I mean, he's applying it currently to a live documentary about a movie play like it's the like how he chooses to use his superpowers is is uh fascinating and uh unknowable to to us mere mortals yeah i mean i don't think anyone out there is like oh do a marvel film i I don't think anybody is asking for that um i i just wonder if he ever has any uh desire um, to sort of try his hand at uh, doing something that is not his, I don't want to say style, but like not his, um, not the thing that he is known for. Uh, mm-hmm. not, not, not like a uh, look backwards, nostalgic kind of thing. Um in terms of set dressing or execution or style or delivery or the diorama like quality of things. Like I wonder if he just never wants to do anything that's, you know, I wonder if he feels like he's locked into this or if he feels really happy and content with what he does with this. Mm. Um, And that is not saying that he needs to branch out because he could make movies like asteroid city or french dispatch or whatever for the rest of time as far as you know the movie going public is concerned um it it just is curious so like i I just wonder what you know if we'll ever see really what makes him tick other than the way that things look sort of visually to Mm him um and and like i said earlier the vibes um like I, i i don't know if he has any like deeper and well, I, I don't want to say ambition. Cause that, that makes it seem like he doesn't do anything, which is not I mean, true. He's making art, but you're asking if he's going to like reveal a, a part of his deep emotional self with, with a, with a, a project at some point. Yeah. It, Cause uh, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily want to 
draw a parallel with Tim Burton, but um, I will. Uh, in that Tim Burton went to a place with his filmmaking where he was Tim Burton, like a thoroughly known quantity uh, in every way. He had a style um, and blah, 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 blah. And people would mimic and emulate it um, much in the way that they do with Wes Anderson. Uh, And he uh, got to a point with his filmmaking where he would just like, show up and production designers would have drawn their little curly cues on things. And he would have like <laughs> give it his stamp of approval. Like he didn't draw the curly cue that they did it because they've seen so many Tim Burton movies. Like does someone see a Wes Anderson movie and they say, yep, this is what Wes Anderson movies look like. And then show it to Wes Anderson. And he just like stamps it approved at a certain point um, because he is so known in what his tastes are that he uh, just is doing what is sort of expected at a certain point. Um, And that's not to say that Tim Burton has not done anything artistic, um, but he certainly has a uh, style um, that has been overt in a lot of places. And he has tried to branch out in a way that Wes Anderson has not. And when Tim Burton's branched out, it's not always been successful um, by and large. Uh, And so, you know, I don't know. Um, I do appreciate that Wes Anderson has a sort of independent streak to what he's doing. He he hasn't, you know, like fallen victim to Sam Raimi and uh, Tim Burton kind of things of like chasing um, like a bigger project or being talked into a bigger project than what he really wants to do. Uh, you know, Wes it's more going to make a Spider-Man. No, God, could you imagine? Um, I could, I feel like it would be Spider-Verse, but you know, like live action. Now, I, well, I think it would be um, like the old 1960s cartoon, um, <laughs> but live action. Like, uh, <sighs> what, what if he did like an Adam West Batman, but with, uh, yeah, Spider-Man. exactly that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure people who know more about Wes Anderson and read all of his interviews and his, you know, things that he said about his process or whatever have a more thorough understanding than I do for sure about what makes him tick. But I don't see it necessarily in the films that I watch what it is that his desires are other than to keep making kind of what he does, um, which, like I said, I like this film i gave it three stars on letterboxd which is a good rating um <sighs> it's perfectly adequate film i had a good time it's not too long um <laughs> and uh you gave it four stars so like you thought it was a good enough time to do that so that's fine yeah mm-hmm. um yeah i think he's just gonna keep getting weirder in in more and more unpredictable ways but yeah it's you know it's a good movie uh and again uh, just to remind you and people, four stars is a movie in my eyes that is a good movie. Uh, three is fine. Three and a half is slightly better than fine. I consider this to be a good movie. People are firing on all cylinders here. I had some fun. Um, you know, I'll always have a special place in my heart for Wes Anderson because uh, Rushmore was a bit of a cinematic awakening for me as a as a human being. Uh, but yeah, man, like he's he's, he's so odd. Um, mm-hmm. So so many of the things he does just just confound me, but uh, they're still fun to watch. You know, we should probably revisit Rushmore at some point. God, I don't know if I I don't know if I have it in me. 
to evaluate Rushmore as a, as a grown person, and uh, it, it might dismantle my entire existence, to be honest. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you're, uh, just, I, you're just very ready to, to dismantle my existence. No, Dan. I can do that without watching the movie. Um, I, I, <laughs> you want to show me that my life is, is, is founded upon a lie? No, I mean, I, I don't, Rushmore didn't, um, I don't know if it's because I don't have any directorial ambitions. Uh, it, it didn't speak to me uh, in a deep way, um, but I, it has its moments um, of humor that I, I enjoy. Uh there is a line that I just keep going back to all the time that I say all the time. And it's so dumb. And I love it so much with these are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? <laughs> yes. And it is so stupid, but it is so funny. And of a, of a drunk, surly high schooler. It, it, I, I, yeah. I mean, I just, I love, I love it. Um, so it is, it is not a movie I would necessarily tear to shreds, but it is not a movie that I hold to the same level as you or uh, other um, mm. junior superstar filmmaker people um, do. I, su- I suspect the um, the the coming of age mm. uh, young Jason Schwartzman bits are going to be um, difficult to watch this far removed. Mm. But who knows? They say, uh, I don't want to make you bleep anything, but never mind. Okay. <laughs> never mind. I'll save it for the after show. Yeah. Well, so, oh, one last thing we didn't talk about was Robert Yeoman. Who? The cinematographer. Oh, on sure. all of Wes Anderson's <laughs> movies. Um, and uh i feel like we you know we talked about like film and color and stuff like that but uh he shoots in a very particular way uh there's a lot of stuff in here with uh a lot of depth of field um where very very deep focus a lot of it yes it's so much so much sharp <laughs> stuff the sequel to mama mia did we talk about this before no, no. And I was just looking at it too. And I was just like, wow, a lot of Paul Feig work. That's mm. interesting. Cause yeah. you, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't associate him, um, with I that bet, necessarily. I bet a day on a Paul Feig movie for this guy he could do in his sleep after working with Wes Anderson. Oh my God. Dogma by Kevin Smith. Wow. Boy. Wow. Really noted for its cinematography, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. This guy's got a wild career. This is so wild. Huh. Mm-hmm. Is there a Wes Anderson film that he did not do? Wow, I did Bottle Rocket all the way back to the beginning, huh? Yeah, I knew that because it, 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 there's that famous story about how they could only get a they could only get one lens or something. And he, no, no, he, he wanted to shoot the whole movie on one lens, but the studio oh, right. said you weren't allowed to. So they, they had other lenses and they just lied on the camera report. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the whole entire thing's 28 millimeters or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, was a, it was a good move. What a thing to do in your first movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note of lying Did you have something reports, to say about the cinematography of this movie? No, I just thought it was interesting. Oh, you just wanted to flag that Robert Yeoman was the cinematographer. Yeah, yeah. Because he always does it. 
and so thus he did it um i think it's shot well it's different than one might expect to see some of these things especially with the deep focus especially with the a lot of bumpy dollies um mm. yeah i feel uh, like he likes that though he doesn't even care yeah. that he's 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 showing the the machinery behind it no i think that's 100 percent part of it like he, he he's not asking for steady cam um or anything here he's not trying to like rig up some perfect no. technocrane move. he's not shooting 8k for a 6k finish so he's got a bunch of look around to stabilize no no but um uh i had something else but it's it's gone already whatever cinematography mm. it was there's the thing that you're gonna tell me in the after show because you can't curse uh yeah no that's not mm-hmm. what i was gonna say here but uh, yeah. something about this anyway it's uh mm-hmm. you know go watch the movie everybody yeah yeah i mean it's a fine one just fine way to spend oh i was gonna say there were a lot of shots with the deep focus that kind of almost felt like split diopters but i'm pretty sure they were not yes i agree like um uh jeffrey wright's face was very close to the frame when we first met him yes and there were people way in the background Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I agree um, with Jeffrey Wright's very large face. <laughs> um, he's very sharp. Um, everything's very sharp in some of these shots. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting to, to do that. Because another thing I think people think of um, for cinema is that everything should have shallow depth of field uh, so that things beyond the tip of a character's nose or eyes or whatever they they're all out of focus um but that's not really how Wes shoots things because he wants you to see everything and it kind of flattens out um all of the stuff if you can just show why he loves these like horizontal dolly moves so you can see all the depth and parallax because he's not getting with focus no yeah, because you, you can just make everything seem like a just like a one point perspective line drawing. Um, but, uh, you know, that that that's just a the curious quirk um, of this particular style. But on that note of quirks and styles, um, we can wrap this up and uh, get back in our green little spaceship after depositing this asteroid. Sure. Mm-hmm. Inventory our asteroid and return it to where it came from. Mm-hmm. I actually shot the black and white stuff in black and white. Yeah, I told you. Eastman double X negative. Wow. That's I think that's the same stock they used for Lighthouse. Uh, Remember Lighthouse? I do. <laughs> 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 I think uh the reason why you use Eastman double X is isn't it orthographic or something? Um so it doesn't render all of the colors the same. Uh it just makes it more contrasty. Um, or or they did something to the film or they did something to the double X in Lighthouse when they were doing it to make it more like orthographic. <sighs> As the subtleties in tone and scale needed for a greater depth of field and quality filming in dim light. I mean, it sounds like what you would use for this mm-hmm. uh, suitability for conditions day exterior five stars day interior slash window light four stars well lit studio five stars limited light four stars 
Thank you, Kodak, for that rating. <laughs> Ever shot anything on film, Dan? Yeah. You miss it? No. <laughs> I remember you posting about the battery pack. Um, oh, the the Aeroflex battery belt? Yeah. I forgot about the, that thing. I saw a picture of it somewhere. We used to just sling it over top of the tripod uh, just because why the hell would you not put it there? Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, you look like Batman with a, with a you know, utility belt. You got all these batteries all over you, which I'm sure were very safe to keep very close <laughs> to your body all the time. Yeah, just right like by your nuts. 40 year, old, 40 year old, like lithium cadmium fucking, I don't know what the hell they were. Well, I think they would be nickel cadmium probably because mm. they're that they're old that that old. Um, lithium ion is a '90s thing. Yeah, it was. It was stupid. It was real, mm-hmm. real dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't enjoy shooting film. Like, I mean, in addition to shooting film, uh, all all of my film projects in school were just uh, disasters because. I thought I would just have my friends come help me shoot films uh, instead of, you know, having the other classmates because you were supposed to build crews of the classmates. My friends never showed up. So I shot all of my movies by myself, um, which, oh. is, which is very easy to do when you're shooting film because you only need a single person for all of that. Oh, uh, Dan, that seems sad and very difficult. Oh, the, you know, it was transitioned from high school to college. You know, I didn't. The, mm-hmm. the friends were bad. Uh, but I do remember one point, like the um, the film mag. um the thing that opens it at the top had this little helpful like leather little you know grab handle attached to the things that you pull so it can open up and that mm-hmm. got like folded into the magazine at one point and luckily i was shooting an extremely dark uh scene in the middle of the desert but i i, I plopped the camera up on my shoulder and the the whole side of the magazine just fell off just oh, no. exposing the entire roll of film it was oh. a, a dark desert so the film was actually still usable which was kind of wild but uh yeah for a long time what was it um I don't remember what it was, but there, there was something I was shooting that I had to shoot by myself that it was just such a huge pain in the ass. And I, I ruined like the last, I don't know, 200, not 200, because a 400 foot mag, um, last like 50 feet of the film or whatever. So I had this little like three inch looking like roll of tape on a plastic core thing that I hung up on the wall above my computer uh, in, in my office just as a reminder to not work with friends anymore. I just kept it there for years. <laughs> So just like, you know, three inches above my computer, I'd see this like ruined roll of film where I'd go, yeah, yeah, don't do that again. Uh, 